0: In a September 2019 edition of The Atlantic, Derek Thompson wrote the following, "'The idea of American exceptionalism has become so dubious that much of its modern usage is merely sarcastic. But when it comes to religion, Americans really are exceptional. No rich country prays nearly as much as the U.S., and no country that prays as much as the U.S. is nearly as rich.'" America's unique synthesis of wealth and worship has puzzled international observers and foiled their grandest theories of a global secular takeover. In the late 19th century, an array of celebrity philosophers, the likes of Friedrich Nietzsche, Karl Marx, and Sigmund Freud, proclaimed the death of God and predicted that atheism would follow scientific discovery and modernity in the West, sure as smoke follows fire. Stubbornly pious Americans threw a wrench in the secularization thesis. Deep into the 20th century, more than 9 in 10 Americans said they believed in God and belonged to an organized religion, with the great majority of them calling themselves Christian. That number held steady through the sexual revolution of the 60s, through the rootless and anxious 70s, and through the greed is good 80s. But in the early 1990s, the historical tether between American identity and faith snapped, Religious non-affiliation in the U.S. started to rise and rise and rise. By the early 2000s, the share of Americans who said they didn't associate with any established religion, also known as nuns, had doubled. By the 2010s, this grab bag of atheists, agnostics, and spiritual dabblers had tripled in size. History does not often give the satisfaction of a sudden and lasting turning point. History tends to unfold in messy cycles, actions and reactions, revolutions and counter-revolutions, and even semi-permanent changes are subtle and glacial. But the rise of religious non-affiliation in America looks like one of those rare historical moments that is neither slow nor subtle nor cyclical. You might call it exceptional. The obvious question is, what the hell happened around 1990? So what did happen in the 1990s? Well, the short answer is a lot. Uh, We began the 1990s with the fall of the Soviet Union uh, and ended it with the Y2K bug hysteria. Uh, Shortly after that, 9-11, and a lot of stuff happened in between. Uh, The Los Angeles riots, uh, the first Gulf War on the earlier end. Uh, By the end of the 1990s, most people had an email address and nobody knew what one was before the beginning of the 1990s. We had the World Wide Web. Uh, there was a lot going on in the 1990s, uh, and this period of time uh, was transformative uh, for a lot of reasons. One of the interesting elements of the 1990s is that it was a really big time for conspiracy theories, not in the same way that conspiracy theories exist today, uh, not in the kind of Alex Jones sort of way, but more in a your regular everyday person was really into the idea of UFOs. There was a lot of UFO shows happening in the 1990s. And a lot of that was a reflection of the changing nature of uh, religion and religiosity, um, the, the fears around uh, the radical shift, shifts in technology and science in the 1990s. Trust in government was on the decline, and paranoia and fear were on the rise. And all of this uh, was best tapped into by the show that would define this zeitgeist of the 1990s, The X-Files, and particularly the relationship between its two protagonists, Fox Mulder and Dana Scully. I'm John Brooks, and this is Hard to Believe. Welcome to the first episode of Hard to Believe. I am John Brooks, as I said in the intro. Uh, And with me, appropriately, is my very first podcasting partner, Joey Lewandowski. Hey, Joey. Hello. Hello, hello. Yes, indeed. All the way back in 2012, I think, before you were a dad. I was thinking about that. It It was before... It was like the time of... Podcasts equivalent to like when the World Wide Web was just like a bunch of people's favorite bands, right? Like it, it was before, I think it was around the time of serial, and I think like serial is when people were like, oh, podcasts, that's a thing that will happen. Uh, but we were just recording stuff into microphones and putting it on the internet, and we had no idea what the hell a podcast was supposed to be. So
1: so believe it or not, so that was back in 2012, I think, like I said. In 2005, I had a friend, maybe 2006, I had a friend that I was playing Halo with every day. He's like, we should start a Harry Potter podcast. And I was like... Who would ever want to listen to us talk about Harry Potter? And I'm still asking the same question. Who would ever want to, talk to listen to people lately listen to us talk about Nicholas Cage or whatever? <laughs> but, you know, 2006 would have been like very truly the early days. Like when Apple first launched, you know, the podcast store or whatever they called it back then, you know, as part of iTunes. Like my friend was like, we should do this. And I was like, okay, but why? why? And now, you know, I, I often think if I had done that and then had taken off, like I would have met probably by now, you know, J.K. Rowling and Daniel Radcliffe, and, like, imagine, like, because I can't believe there was a Harry Potter podcast before then, right? Like, if I had stuck with it, I could be a millionaire right now. I could have, like, all sorts of famous friends. Are the Harry Potter podcasters millionaires? Uh, no. I mean... I, no, no, but maybe. <laughs> I could have been.
0: Are any podcasters millionaires? Yeah, uh, Joe Rogan, Mark Maren's uh, yeah. probably not, but yeah. Joe Rogan is. That's true, that's true. Uh, anyway, this is this is a new podcast. This is the first episode of a brand new podcast, and this podcast was inspired by my various appearances on your podcasts. <laughs> uh, if you don't know, Joey uh, usually has me come in to... to Speak on his podcasts, which include oh, they are various. Uh, you want to name some of them that I've been on, and some of them, so the ones like? that you've been on, you've been on
1: Cage Club, our Nicholas Cage podcast, you've been on Keanu Club, our Keanu Reeves podcast. I think you've been on Watch the Throne, our Charlie Sterren. Oh, you're on our lost episode of the Cider House Rules for our Charlie oh, podcast, yeah, Watch right. the Throne. You've been on Cruise Club, our Tom Cruise podcast, you've been on Hanks for the Memories, our Tom Hanks podcast. All in all, I think now, including this one, we have like 27 shows on the network. I run like, or I host like 12 of them, I think. Um, They're not all active in production right now, but we are putting out, you know, 35 or 40 episodes a month, and those you can find all at cageclub.me, and wherever you find fine podcasts.
0: Wherever quality podcasts are sold. Um, Yeah, and every time that there's some sort of religious philosophical component I tend to be on those shows, and uh, because that's what I do uh, for a living, I teach religion—not uh, in the way that, like, a priest does, uh, <laughs> in, in the way that, like, a teacher does—and uh, uh, yeah. So I, I, I was on a bunch of those, and I uh, decided why not have a podcast that talks about the intersection of. Pop culture and religion and mystical, philosophical, weird things of the past um, and and so forth. So uh, I decided to let Joey pick the first topic uh, and, and make it as broad as possible. Uh, and Joey, your response to me was what? <coughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> a, a loud um, We'll take it out in
1: post. It's fine. Uh, yeah, it's just the virus. It's fine. <laughs> uh, so when you said to me, you know, just pick a topic, I was like, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. Because like, I didn't fully I still, I'm interested to see what this podcast goes. Because I feel like of all the shows on the network of all the shows that I listen to, this has the most potential to go in any number of different ways. Like it's all under a singular umbrella. And it's all within your focus and within your reach. But it's also like, oh, I don't know what any of this is actually going to wind up being. And so there's a couple different shows. Like I think before I mention the thing that is probably the title of this episode that people already know, like, why are you beating around the bush? Um, One of my favorite things in movies and TV shows is when religion is... The intersection of religion and I guess non-believers, kind of? And I don't know why that scratches such an itch for me, but like, you know, maybe my three favorite shows of all time, and these are basically the three of the ideas that I had to talk about with you tonight, The Leftovers, Lost, and The X-Files... They all deal to a smaller, to a great extent about religion and belief and, you know, what does that all mean and should you, and is it dumb to do so or is it good to do so? And, like, are you right? Are you dumb? Like, it doesn't, like, all of that different things, you know, man of science, man of faith, and whether they're movies that are just singular stories or like ongoing narratives like Lost or like The Leftovers or whatever that have to do with religion, you know, I, I don't know why that scratches such an itch for me, but it always does. And, you know, I've a lot on my brain lately I've had, you know, I've been thinking about The X-Files a lot lately, and I don't know why, but I think maybe because I'm always kind of thinking about The X-Files, and the more I think about it, it's probably my favorite show of all time, and... I know that you have a history with it, I'm assuming, I think we've talked about it before, I think you really like it too, I guess we'll find out, I guess I'll find out shortly, but one of the things that, especially early on, I don't know that it really continued as the show went on, because I think it became other things, but one of the things that really fascinated me early on is Gillian Anderson's character, Dana Scully, being a scientist, being this woman of science, and yet she still is a woman of faith and like she has the necklace and, you know, the, the cross necklace and her dad. And like when her dad dies, spoiler in the first season, like she doesn't really know where to go to deal with this. Cause she like logically and rationally knows one thing, but also spiritually kind of wants to know another one. And so I'm just, I, I kind of want to talk about that with you and sort of hear what you have to think about that, but also kind of in like maybe in a broader way, just the intersection of like, how do people either on TV or in movies, or in real life, that are so by the book, scientific numbers, pure rationality, thinking, whatever, also be like, yeah, but also like religion matters to me. Like, I understand to a certain extent, like, why, how that happens in real life, but I just think it's a fascinating topic, especially the way that, you know, this character is created. Yeah.
0: So, first of all, I want to, you're like 10, 10 years younger than me, maybe. So, so what was your sort of introduction to the X-Files like where did it fit in in your life growing up you would have been very young while it was still on the air um, so, so talk a little bit about that
1: yeah so I was born in 87 the end of 80s December 87 and started in September 93 so I was almost 6 when it started I remember either season 5 or 6 so I think after the movie had come out my dad and I started watching it on TV so I would have been 11 or 12 um which I feel like is maybe just a touch too young. I remember having horrible nightmares from one episode in particular, Uh, just like, I was like, oh no, this is terrible. Um, And then one of my first big expensive purchases was when I think the season or the, the series had concluded. So I was probably, you know, 15 or something and I had my first job. I remember Best Buy was selling the DVDs that were, normally like $99 a season, I bought them, they were all half price, so I spent $450 on nine seasons of DVD, nine seasons of TV on DVD. And I remember that my dad and I, while I was in high school, would like go through, and I think, you know, we probably watched the first five or six seasons that way. I think, actually I might have started a little bit after that. I don't know. But I, I started watching with my dad toward the end, sort of the middle to the end, and saw the last couple seasons with him live, and then we caught up most of it. It's a show that... I don't know for certain that I've seen all 202, 203, whatever it is, episodes of the original run. I think I've seen, at the minimum, like 170, 180 of them, but I feel like there's stuff in, like, seasons 7 and 8, maybe, that I haven't. Like, when Kumail had his X-Files file show, and, you know, Max Landis came out and talked about X-Cops, I was like, oh, I don't remember this at all, and X-Cops is amazing. Um, so I think there's probably some, like, gaps in knowledge in later seasons, which sort of feels antithetical but i feel like every couple years i go back and i start watching from the beginning and so i'm really really familiar with the first few seasons and you know i i would say i know most of almost everything you know i know all the narratives and everything like but there's just like there's episodes probably toward the end that i haven't seen
0: for one reason or another so i'm glad you brought up the ex-cops i've forgotten about that episode until you said it and it immediately uh came right back into my head um you know i i the X-Files is, in so many ways, the 1990s, uh, and and looking back on it now captures so much of what was going on in the 1990s um, in a way that, like, it doesn't... I'm sure the show still holds up, and it's still a great show, um, but it really is a a sort of relic of its time, Um in a, in a way that it's very difficult to go tell someone who's never seen it to, like, go watch every episode, right? Because it doesn't, right. it's not, it is not timeless, uh, but it is absolutely fantastic as a, as, a, as a series. It's one of the best television series ever made. Um, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, Battlestar Galactica, was a show, the 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 more recent one, was a show that was very much a post-9-11 show, um, was very much a post-Iraq War show. A lot of those themes and ideas um, are very clearly present in that show. Um, the X-Files is a show that is of and about <laughs> the sort of existential, uh, I don't know, angst of the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. And the X-Cops episode, which is a, an episode where... Uh, it's, it's like a, uh, handheld cam (laughs) version of the X-Files where it's basically an episode of the very 90s show Cops, which is why I'm glad you brought it up, uh, (laughs) which itself, it's like just so much what the 90s are is that is the show Cops, right? Like Fox's this upstart, this upstart network is looking for like cheap shows and like, oh, we'll just have a bunch of police officers film themselves and just show it on primetime, right? Uh, and, it, and, and it was huge. And, of course, the X-Files parodies it in this, in this very clever way, uh, in a way that's, that's really... Is that one of the Gilligan episodes? Is that one of the uh, Vince Gilligan I actually, ones? It might not I be. No, I,
1: I, you know, I know the the list of the Darren Morgan episodes in my head. I don't know if I have the Vince Gilligan ones memorized. I'll take a look at that while you talk about
0: it. All right. Well, the Vince Gilligan ones, are, the the handful of them that he, the standalone ones, are 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 brilliant. Um, postmodern Prometheus, and there's there's a bunch that are just fantastic. But, um, yeah. So, so I think X-Cops is a really good indication of of w- what I'm getting at here, which is that. Uh, Yo, it is Vince Gillen. You are great. Right. <laughs> you are <laughs> <correct>. great. <laughs> How about that? Uh, yeah. There, the, the, the tension between Mulder and Scully, this whole like, science versus religion idea, um, again, the 1990s itself was an interesting time in the way that religion played out in the world because it was a time when we started seeing people move away from religion in, in, in a way that... Um, had been kind of predicted for a long time since the 19th century. Um, it was a time when educated adults were having conversations, being like, religion's going to be totally dead in 20 years uh right like no one's gonna it's 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 almost over um we're gonna have a completely secular generation coming up and like that hasn't played out uh (laughs) like we are here we are 25 years later uh and it's not the way it's played out um but you know there's a reason why people were saying that and and that all changed with 9 11 which i think sort of put religion right back into the into the sort of centrality of the public awareness um So what we're left with is this really interesting sort of um, artifact uh, of of this period of time. Um, And yeah, I I see how you are intrigued by that. Um, What I think is really interesting about, in particular, what the X-Files does, which is kind of sneaky, is it sets it up as, you know, Scully is the rationalist, right? Like Scully is the is the foil to Mulder's right. conspiracy theory. Like I believe, all <laughs> like all the aliens. Uh, you know, he's almost the the ancient aliens guy, but without the hair, right? Like everything's aliens. It's always aliens. Uh, and Scully is like the no Mulder. There's a scientific explanation for this, right? But what the show does that's so clever, I think, and one of the reasons why I think it's worth talking about what it's trying to say and like what that character does is that that's actually not at all what Scully is, right? She is the one who doesn't believe the very thing that's happening in front of her. Like Mulder's right (laughs) about all the aliens, right? That's, that's sort of the, that's sort of the, um, uh, the, the conceit of the show is that he is just basing what he believes on observation and fact and she's the one who's like no it's got to be science that's doing it and then also right she's the religious one and so why it's so clever is it's saying like yeah what we what we think of as being rational and what we think of as being um mainstream you know doesn't necessarily even hold water uh and so the transition of scully becoming sort of doubling down on her faith following her father's death and her own abduction and um, miraculous recovery and all that sort of thing um, I think it says something important about um, about that relationship about about science and and, and religion um, are you one of the people who thinks that I mean what is your your personal sort of take on the idea like are science and religion enemies is one trying to out destroy the other can they be compatible like what's your what's your basic i don't know sort of gut feeling about that can you before i
1: answer this can you explain to me what a christian scientist is because i know the term (laughs) and i have no idea what it actually is
0: uh, yeah, maybe we'll do an episode about it, um, at some point in the future. Um, a Christian scientist is not a Christian who is also a scientist, uh, and is also not to be confused with a Scientologist, which has nothing to do with science or Christianity. Uh, a Christian scientist, uh, is a movement uh, that began in, oh God, I'm gonna, might get this wrong, but I, I think the late 19th century, uh, I may have to look at, look it up, uh, It is a sort of Protestant kind of revivalist quasi kind of mystical movement that uh, essentially what they believe is that um, everything can be cured through prayer and faith. So they put faith front and center in terms of like the well-being of life um i'm way underselling what it is but the reason why christian science scientists are well known is because they often refuse medical treatment and that has led to some lawsuits especially with parents who like let their children die uh because they don't allow doctors to treat them so like they reject modern medicine and put it all into god's hands so to speak and so they believe that uh jesus can can heal all wounds including one would imagine pediatric cancer right so um so it's almost like ironic unintentionally so um no because the word science itself just means knowledge right and so uh Hmm. it's it's the root of it and so like the idea of christian science is is the idea of um trying to get to the sort of revealed knowledge inherent in christianity um uh, so yeah it's not it's not that (laughs) it it, it definitely isn't like christianity that is that is sort of (laughs) geared towards science uh it's in fact kind of the opposite um but uh, interesting question. Again, I, I, it's, it's a fascinating um, topic, and, and I, I think it's worth maybe doing an episode about at some point. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of episodes so, yes, ahead. So going back to your only, question, number one, do I
1: think that they're out? Do I think that they're out to get one another? I don't think they are. I think that if you run into anyone who is, and I'm not sure if I'm using the right the word right, but, like, fundamentalist, like, where it's just like, this is, like, people who take the Bible literally as opposed to metaphorically, I think that they are the ones that are going to have an issue with science, and science is going to have an issue with them. And I think that if you take the Bible or any kind of theology as a metaphor and as just like a, hey, here's a guideline to being a good person, I don't think that they're diametrically opposed. Like, I basically asked... I think I rem- I think I remember vaguely what what the conversation was like, but I remember asking in high school like our our minister because I went to church until I was like eighteen, and then I went off to college and just sort of like strayed, and I remember asking her like, so like how do dinosaurs fit into this? Because like the Bible says you know six thousand years or whatever, and like it's you know science is different. She's like you know it's, it's, basically I think she's basically like it's a meta- like it's a metaphor, just like <laughs> like don't like don't, <laughs> don't take really it can. literally, yeah. right? Yeah. Like yeah. don't you know don't be dumb. Like, she wasn't saying don't be dumb about that, but like, I think that there is, if you're an understanding, empathetic person, I think that religion does a lot of good and I think that science does a lot of good. And I don't think that they necessarily can't be. You can't, it's not that you can't believe in both. I just think that from the outside, it seems like they shouldn't necessarily coalesce. And I think that when you're in the event of, like, a Dana Scully or, like, a character like this, I think when you're writing someone archetypally, I think it doesn't really jive, right? Like, it's just like, oh, they're so fundamentally opposed, especially early on when, like, you're not sure what the character's going to become. Like, the Scully in season one is not at all a Scully in season 9 or 10 or 11, or, you know, whatever they wound up with when they revived it, right? Like, it's a very different character. The character grows, as all TV characters grow over time. But, you know, when you're writing early on and you know what she basically is... You, you inject that kind of, I think, infighting sort of inside her as a, oh, we can go somewhere with this, right? And I think that there is something interesting there. But I also I don't I don't think that when you if you're rational, if you think about it, I don't think that they're out to get necessarily get one another. I think, you know, there are people who take one thing either too strongly that like scientists who like just make fun of religion or whatever, or religious people who like don't believe science like the like both of those things are crazy right i think if as long as you're able to think sort of down the middle and sort of see both sides i don't think there's any reason why they can't get along
0: yeah and so i think one of the things that's really interesting about um the the way that those two characters play out over the course of the show um you know i i I did i said early on that that there's this sort of inversion that you're sort of um it's sort of a, a uh shell game right where it's like here is the rational one and here is the irrational one and it's like well it's not actually really what's happening um it also like the way that the religious element of those two characters is explored i think is really fascinating because because scully is sort of like science has all the answers uh and everything can be explained rationally except in the world of the x-files where it can't right um and at the same time, it's like, yeah, and I'm also going to have this religious component and you don't question me <laughs> on that, like, because I'm okay with doing that and I can I can make these two things sort of fit comfortably and I will question them as I please. On the other hand, right, Mulder um, is, is, you know, as we said, the true rationalist of the two of them, like the one who actually is just like going on the evidence and what he has experienced and what he's seen. But at the same time, a lot of... Um, his motivations and a lot of sort of the long-term story arcs are 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 really sort of caked in in religious ideas and religious motifs. Um, you know, like his whole like resurrection sequence uh, in the later seasons. Uh, he, that that he dies and returns from the dead. Right. That he has this mysterious father figure who's like not his real father, which has very biblical um, elements to it. His insistence that his sister is still out there somewhere and he will find her and like it, it, there's this zealousness about him right and then also like there's there's even the language of i think it's in the in the movie where one character says like if, i think it's the cigarette smoking man is if you if you kill Mulder, you turn hit one man's quest into a crusade right and so like using yep. that crusade language is that i think it's really interesting that the writers and, and chris carter in particular um really don't just like have this duality of like rationality versus uh, zealotry and and religious versus not religious, but sort of shows how there are elements of both uh, of those things on these sort of opposite poles um, just sort of playing out in, in very, very different ways, right? And, and in some ways, like, Mulder is the more religious of the, of the two of them. Um, it's just that his religion is... Is this massive global conspiracy uh that he is absolutely determined to to uncover um so I think that's really fascinating i think that's 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 something about the nineties that is being sort of portrayed there um, This was a time when Belief, I, I probably belief in like UFOs and aliens. I would imagine was at its highest in the 1990s. Well, right? a lot of that is also because of Fox, like Alien Autopsy running sure. that in prime time. Like, why is that happening? Right, and but and and, and sightings and like the, the 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 countless shows about about alien abductions and like Fire in the Sky and you know it was <laughs> this was all the 90s. Um, I I think the reason that it was happening was because of a combination of of a growing mistrust in um, institutions. Um, but also, like, it was a pretty good time economically, especially in America. Um, and when things are going well, people have more time to think about aliens. Uh, no, I, that's really true, right? Yeah. Like, like oh, yeah. when, when 9-11 happened, it suddenly didn't seem that much interesting. Like, aliens didn't really... <laughs> Seem like a threat, right? When there's no co- there's no Soviet Union in the '90s, right? The Cold War has ended. There's no um, the Al Qaeda hadn't risen yet, and so like, where's your existential threat? Well, it must be from space, um, and and so I you know I, I think that plays a role. I, there's a reason why Fox was airing all of those shows. It wasn't they weren't they weren't sort of creating the zeitgeist. They were just tapping into it, right? Um, so yeah, and that's you know, when I say that the X Files is of the '90s. Like that really is what I'm talking about.
1: I think there's a kind of a a beautiful irony to the Mulder and Scully dynamic, and I think everything you've been saying over the last ten minutes, like, every time you talk, I, like, I want to, like, it it basically is leading to this, that, like, I think the iconic image or the iconic sort of mission statement or creed in the series is I want to believe, right? Like, and it's Molders like, it's on the poster in Mulder's office. And, like, by the way, side note, I've been looking for, like, a good recreation of that poster basically my entire life, and it feels like everyone, like, on Etsy is just like, oh, that's not the font. Like, I can tell, it, like, that's not the font. Like, give me a real one, please. Thank you. I will pay money for it. <laughs> but... I think that there's a beautiful kind of irony that like his post or his thing is I want to believe, but like he has no problem believing like he believes he like it's, he knows like it's beyond belief. He knows. And it's almost like Scully wants to believe, right? Like she's the one who's like, I want to see what you're seeing. I just can't. And I think that for the, the ideas and the motto and the, you know, belief set that is so fundamentally, inherently, seemingly tied to Mulder is actually her, right? Like, she's the one who, like, he's already committed, like you've been saying all along, like, he's the one who has the vision, he knows, you know, since he was a little boy, and like, his sister Samantha got taken, like, he knows that there's something out there, that like, you know, he wants to prove it, like, he wants, I want to prove, basically, is his thing, right? Like, I want to prove that either the government knew, or that there's aliens, or whatever, and she's like, like, look, I can help you prove it. But, like, I want to believe. Like, I want to. I want to be there with you. And I think there's like a really kind of wonderful juxtaposition and sort of maybe irony, and maybe in that email, Alanis Morissette word. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> where it's tied to him, but it's not really him. Like, that's not his
0: thing. He knows it's. It's really her. Yeah, and 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 you know when you when you mentioned fundamentalism um, earlier, and you know if you think about Mulder as kind of a essentially a fundamentalist, right? That um the, the, the idea of certainty um in religion is also a really, I think, worthy topic. Uh because it, it certainty itself is the opposite really of faith, right? Like you can't have faith if you're certain about something. that the, the, there's no there's no challenge <laughs> like if you, if you absolutely know god exists and absolutely know that the every word of the bible is inherently true um then you you don't have faith um so i i think one of the things that we tend to um do as a culture uh is is conflate the ideas of faith religion and theism like all into one thing um which isn't the case, right? Like Buddhism is a religion; uh, it is not really a faith, and it doesn't really have a theology. Uh, but it definitely is a is a religion. Um, so, you know, it's it's a it's sort of a it's sort of a minefield when you even talk about what religion means. Uh, uh, and so, when people in the '90s were saying like religion's going to be dead in 20 years, I think part of the reason why people thought that um, was again, because things were going really well <laughs> right? like we weren't in any major wars at the time and and there was no nine eleven and there was no Soviet Union and it's like yeah, everybody's just going to be rational from now on and you know uh, but also like it's just it, it's it's missing that there is so much nuance in, in in religion that most people who are religious are not fundamentalists and in fact when you talked to your pastor about, you know, what's up with dinosaurs, right? (laughs) Um, What is your sense, like, uh, what is your sense about sort of the history of, let's just use Christianity as an example, that, like, how long into the course of Christianity do you think most Christians have believed that, like, you must believe every word of the Bible is absolutely true and that, the story of creation in Genesis 1 and two uh, are a historical account. like what is your sense of how many people believe that and for, for how long that's been going on I'm, and I'm just I'm just asking you in terms of like what's what do you have in your head as like what that looks
1: like? I wonder I feel like it's probably goes hand in hand with just the proliferation of information in general like before, you know, Gutenberg made the printing press or whatever, right? Like people just like, oh yeah, like the Bible says this, I got to believe it. Like, and then I don't remember, I don't know if it's David Cross or someone, there's some <laughs> comedian who's just like, uh, oh no, that's bullshit. Like, it's just like, there's, there's a certain sense where like you, when you can prove something is right, they like, can be like, I'm gonna, like flip through a book or just bring it up on your phone or whatever. Like there comes a certain point where you say, oh no, like that's not True, like I, like the it didn't start six thousand years ago. Like I know that like this guy didn't live live to be nine hundred years old or whatever. Like that's just not like it's it, that's not right. Like that's not factual. Like it mean it's it, you could you could take it however you want to mean it, but I feel like it probably I would imagine I, with no basis for this other than just like gut feeling that for a while people you know sort of took comfort in that because I think what you keep saying, like, you know, in the 90s when people weren't worrying about things, they thought religion was going to die and then, you know, 9-11 happens and now what we're going through now and it feels like, in all things, whether it's just nationwide or global issues or just the fact that, like, you're getting older and, like, you're you're 60 or 70. You're like, oh, I'm going to die soon, and I want to be at peace with myself and feel like, just let myself believe that there is more than this and more than just this, that I'm going to go somewhere when I die, so I'm going to return to church. So, like, I think there's always going to be a fundamental purpose for religion. It might not be as big or as celebrated or as popular as it once was but i feel like the peace that it gives people will always have merit and have a place in society but i think that as time goes on and people understand more about the world and know that the world like as the world kind of gets smaller i think there's less of a need for people to be like oh this is i have to live my life this way like i understand more about how things work, this isn't literal, this is metaphorical this is just
0: a guidebook or whatever yeah, so okay, that's a really interesting perspective i it's it's really it's pretty complicated I'm glad you brought up gutenberg um because that really is kind of a turning point right without without people having um pretty ready ready access to the bible uh in a in a printed form which the printing press Gutenberg's printing press allowed for. You know, for 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 centuries, they had just done what the church told them, and the Catholic Church was the church in Western Europe. Uh, and the church would say, "Yeah, yeah, this book here says to do that, right?" And so it's like, "Oh, okay. Well, why do I have to take communion, and why do I have to go to church every Sunday, and why do I have to confess to this priest, and why do I right all that sort of thing?" And it's like, "Oh, yeah, it's in this book. Just we we, we read it for you." don't worry about what it says, it's here, right? Uh, And, you know, it's not. (laughs) Like, there's a lot of stuff that isn't in that book. Uh, They shouldn't have said that it was. The answer for why the Catholic Church does stuff is more complicated than the Bible says so. Um, But they basically, like, used this book as, like, oh, this is the, the source material for all of that, right? And so when people started reading it, they were like, oh, that's not in there, right? Like, They've been lying to us all this time about what's actually in the book, and I, I think so interesting about that is that it's that's such a sort of scientifically minded thing to do, right? Is to like, oh, here's what I've been told. Now that I have access to this evidence. I am going to weigh what I've been told against the evidence and come to a different conclusion. And that's exactly what Martin Luther did, right? He was like, huh, <laughs> right? Like, nothing that my church has been telling me is in here. Um, so, you know, Martin Luther, in, in in some ways, is like almost a, you know, it, it, very much a Fox Mulder type, right? Like, he's a guy who's like on a mission to like, reveal the truth about the world and take down the man uh and it's really hard actually to find much of a difference except i don't think Mulder is a raging anti-semite but like to <laughs> find it a, a, a difference between martin luther and, and fox Mulder in in their zeal right in their intellect in their like uh ability to stand up to to a power that wants maybe to kill them um so it's you know is that what it means to be religious or, or not? It's, you know, it's sort of like, where, where is, where does the religion part even fit into these, to, to these people and in, in, in what they're doing? And when, when we talk about the sort of the, um, the literal interpretation of the Bible, right? This is, I think something that a lot of people kind of get wrong. Um, that the assumption was that the world is 6,000 years old because the Bible says so. And like, that's, why I'm going to believe it. For most of Western history, you had no reason to really not believe that, right? Like, if you lived in 13th century France, um, you didn't have any information that would make you right. think that that wasn't true. So, like, it was good enough. <laughs> there, there was no, there was no sort of counterbalancing evidence. But what you need to understand is that is that when that evidence was unavoidable, um, when it became, like, publicly aware that that like when carbon dating becomes a thing yeah yeah exactly right when it's when it's like no it is definitely not the case that these the the earth is um covered in a dome with stars attached to it as the bible says right like okay well let's reassess that and you don't necessarily have to throw god out with it and while there was a lot of tension, uh, mostly having to do with the continued power of the Catholic Church and, and, and institutions and that sort of thing that are built on um, the, the validation of religious ideas, it wasn't the mainstream, it was never the mainstream thought that every word in the Bible is literally true or else the whole thing has to be thrown out, right? And so the, what we now think of as fundamentalism Um, The sort of the the strand of Protestant Christianity that we associate with people like Jerry Falwell, right, and Pat Robertson, and like the 700 Club and the Left Behind books, which also were a, you know, function of the 1990s, which I definitely also will do an episode about at some point. um, It also became a Nicolas Cage movie. And a a Kirk Cameron movie. uh, And that shit is nutty, uh, but super fun to talk about. That's new, right? The, the, the idea of fundamentalism in that regard is only about 150 years old. It's, it's, not, it's not traditional. So, so the, um, the embrace of every word in the Bible being literally true in spite of all the evidence to the contrary, right, is a new phenomenon. Um, and people tend to think that that is sort of the way it's always been, and it really isn't the way that it's always been. So you know, the Catholic Church for a long time has has embraced um, Darwinian evolution as a as a scientific fact. Um, you know, the, the the Big Bang theory as a scientific fact. And when people find out about that, they're like, "Whoa, whoa, really?" <laughs> right? Like when Pope Francis, who like understands science and like studied science, right, is like, "Yeah, uh, the Big Bang happened." <laughs> right? there. People in the mainstream are like, what? I thought he was a crazy, you know, religious nut job. And and uh, no, he's not. <laughs> like, yeah, he's pretty religious, right? He's the Pope. Uh, but but no, he, he doesn't believe that you can, uh, you have to throw out God by embracing um, the Big Bang and evolution. Now, I don't know if that's true. Like, I, I have my own views about that. But, but um, certainly if you're looking at the test case, right, uh no um there are very very religious people who still embrace uh the ideas of science um and so in that regard i think we can conclusively say like no they're not enemies um and 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 the vatican has an observatory and like have done a lot of great work uh in astronomy uh and 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 the like so um Yeah, it's complicated.
1: (laughs) Like, I don't think it's crazy to believe to a certain extent that, like, you can believe that the Big Bang happened and you can have all the scientific proof, but, like, I think that there's also room in there if you want it to be, and if you don't want it to be, you don't have to have it be, but if you want to be like, well, something created the Big Bang, right? Like, not just, like... Adam's heating up or, you know, whatever. I don't know the Big Bang. I don't understand it. TV show. <laughs> I don't get it. I, I know about it, but I don't know, like, actually how it happened. I can't define it. But I don't think that it's crazy to sort of combine that with to a certain extent with, like, a oh, there's a higher power that, like, led to that, right? And I think if you want to believe in both things, I think there's room to. And I think that that's kind of, there's kind of a nice thing there. I think it's, you know, the amazing thing about being human is like, you can believe whatever you want to believe if you just try hard enough, right? Like, you'd be like, oh, yeah, this is all true. Like, sure, why not? Like, as long as you're not like, I, I, I really do feel like as long as you're not telling people that they are wrong, or that they are dumb, like, for instance, there are certain people who are very prominent atheists in the uh, TV TV realm, uh, perhaps like a Bill Maher and a Ricky Gervais type, who are kind of like... Arrogant and pompous, in their like, you're dumb if you believe X, right? Like, it's just, that's not helping anybody. It's the same thing on the other end of the spectrum as like the Jerry Falwell thing, right? Like, this is absolutely fundamentally true, whatever. And as long as you're not doing that, I think you're fine. Like, just like, let people believe, like, it's hard enough to be alive and to be a person. Like, let people believe whatever they want to believe, whether you're a scientist who is struggling with faith because her dad is dying and your partner is like, my sister was abducted by aliens, or or, like, if you're just a normal person who's like, you know, I can't refute these facts, but also, like, it makes me feel better if I think that there's, like, a heaven, right? Like, just let you, let people believe what you want to believe. Like, do whatever it takes to
0: get you through this weird thing we call life. Yeah, and and I think... What you are describing is something that I sometimes call secular fundamentalism, which is the idea uh, in Bill Maher and Sam Harris and Ricky Gervais, all of whom I like a lot. I mean, like, not everything about them, but I really enjoy Bill Maher's show. I like the the conversations he is able to have, the the people he is able to like bring into a room to talk. I think he's really valuable. I think he's very funny. Um, uh, you know, Ricky Gervais obviously has done some brilliant stuff. I, I, I like Sam Harris a lot, although I find his attitudes about, like, Islam pretty troubling, um, but I think he's smart and I, I, I you know, I, I, I love listening to and reading him and, and disagreeing with him um, from time to time, but um, you know, I, I do I think it proves the point that fundamentalism itself is not a product of religion, it's a product of um, sort of cultural circumstance right the reason that fundamentalism in the christian capacity the reason why it was really popular in the 90s um with you know teenagers wearing like what would jesus do bracelets and that sort of thing um and the the rise of the phenomenon of what we'll call for the sake of argument christian rock uh though um i would argue with the second word there being Valid, uh but you know like jars of clay and like all that crap right? right yeah yeah zing uh it's it's that it's there's there's the phenomenon itself is not tied to religion it's tied to sort of the 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 escalating changes in society we we always see fundamentalism happen when things are happening really fast and people want to sort of grab on and not let go Right, so, like when, in a course of two or three generations, like the entire social fabric changes right the 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 pill in the nineteen sixties right and then like gay marriage and and going to the moon, and like all this stuff happening in a very, very short period of time um scares people who grew up with a certain set of sort of religious values and ideas and and their response is often just like grab hold and don't let go, right? So like whatever information comes your way, the earth is 6,000 years old, there is one God, Jesus literally died on a cross and literally like rose again, every word is true, like don't worry about it, right? Like you're going to have this and it's permanent and you're never going to, it's never going to go away. And I think that the the, the sort of secular fundamentalism, which in some ways, again, is, is really well portrayed in the Mulder character, um, that that secular fundamentalism is also a product of that. Uh, that. That when you, that sort of, I'm absolutely right and I'm absolutely certain there's not a God and I'm absolutely certain that anybody who believes there is is both wrong and also a danger to society. <laughs> like, it's holding everybody back. Right. That that too is a product of fear, right? It's a product of yeah. uncertainty and an unwillingness to um, live live with the nuance. And I think that's, why we all love (laughs) molder but we all love scully right like like scully is the is the sort of like comfort zone to all of us like if we were hanging out with molder all the time we would drive ourselves insane even though he's our hero and like we love him but like scully we could hang out with all the time like scully's the the person that it gives us that sort of like chill the hell out right and like you can kind of you you can you can you can live with the uncertainty, and you can live with the nuance of of reality, and and that's fine. And I think that's part of the reason why she's such an enduring character. Um, not only is she great for for girls, we can talk a little bit about about the Scully effect in a second if you want to, because I think that's really interesting. Um, but she's also just like she's she she is more like us right? <laughs> than 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 she is like the sort of frenetic. Uh, culture of the 1990s that that the rest of the show is sort of portraying. Um, she, she's grounding in a way, and it's 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 more comforting that you can both be a scientist and also still have a faith, even if it's one that you are sort of doubting yourself, right? Because she doubts her own faith all the time, yeah. and 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 that's okay. Uh, but she still sees a place for it, um, which is which is a pretty. Again, at a t- period of time when everybody's like, "Eh, religion, eh, who cares?" right? Like it's it's going to be gone soon. Uh it's pretty remarkable that that you know, that that sort of artifact is still there. Um and and one of the reasons why that show remains yeah, even with the docket seasons uh <laughs> still great, right? And, and nothing against um nothing against Doggett and and Reyes. The, um, the greatest terminator. <laughs> <but> <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, the greatest Terminator. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, talk to me a little bit more about your 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 love of of Dana Scully and and who I assume is like your I mean your favorite X Files character, right? And, and and I assume that John Locke is your favorite Lost character, or or is it just like do you like the the, the dynamic no, of don't. like John Locke and Jack and and Scully and Mulder? Like, what what's what what is it that you like about that so much? Uh, I would say that Scully is for sure my favorite character
1: because, like the op- the only options, unless you're like a real like a hole, like it's either her or Mulder. Like if it's, or I guess also maybe Skinner. Like there's not a lot of options. Like <laughs> unless you want to be like a real pre- pretentious, presumptuous. Like oh, you know, actually I like Alex Krychek because uh, yeah. obviously I like he's got Medicare such a good. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like there's, like, you know, Clyde Bruckman. Like I like one-offs here and there. Like they're cool,
0: but like it's kinda to no, be. Like, Scully's the hardest show. Fuck Krychek, and if you like Krychek, like stop listening right now. Uh, <laughs> nobody likes <laughs> nobody likes crycheck <laughs> People like to see the Krychek, um, like punched in the face. That's what they like about like when he loses an arm. We're like, yeah, okay, cool. Like I, I think what's
1: what's what the beauty is with Scully is that she is like many characters on many shows, she's our way into the series, right? Because like Mulder is already established as this X-Files guy, right? Like um, he's the one who, he's for, X number of days, like, he's been in the basement just doing the cases nobody else wants, but we're entering the show when she joins him, right? Like, just like, how you, know, you know, there's, like, a football story or whatever, like, we follow the kid, like, the new recruiter, the new coach, or whatever. Like, whatever the way that we're seeing the story, we're connecting with that character. And I think that Scully, from the very beginning, from the pilot episode, we're on her side because we're with her Entering this world of the unknown. I think, like, from the beginning, she's meant to be the one that you champion. Like, Mulder is delightful and a weirdo, and I love him, don't get me wrong, but, like, it's all about Scully. Like, Scully's the greatest. Compare that to Lost, where, like, each time that I watch that show or watch the first few seasons or whatever, like, I feel like everyone is wildly... Everyone is wrong, essentially, at some point. Like, the first time I watch it, I'm all about Jack and Kate. And I'm like, because I think, like, you know, like I was just saying about Scully, you wake up with Jack. He's the pilot. He's supposed to be the hero. You're like, oh, he's right. And then you watch it a second time. You're like, oh, no, he's an idiot. He's just, like, thrust in charge. Locke's the one who's, like, who's got the greater. And then, like, you watch it again. You're like, no, they're both dumb. Like, it's all about Sawyer. Like, he's the the right one here. And I don't know that I have a, I mean, my favorite character, I guess, on lost is charlie like it's got to be charlie but like charlie's not the emotional resonance like he's got his arcs with claire and stuff like that but i think to your question my favorite character choosing on the x-files is easy it's scully but i think in terms of lost i don't know that i ever really like there's a there is a one watch through where i was like oh i'm on team block like i get it you know there is something magical happening here that he's able to walk and all this different stuff like i i get where he's coming from i understand his point of view I think what I appreciate about that is just the dynamics that there is something more. I think that's maybe what I maybe a more accurate way to describe what I like about these shows than religion is mythology. And I think that the coincidence in these is that the mythology is tied to religion, right? That it's mythology that like there is something this island has mystical mythical powers that John sees like you know he's the man of faith and maybe it's not to a god but it's to a a, a greater something or other, right? and i think that that's what i connect with it's like the 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 yearning for like meaning and the yearning for understanding and development and deeper understanding of the world around you or whatever and i think that's what really connects me with these shows like the same thing with like the leftovers like the leftovers has a very literal religious, like, is this the rapture? And then, like, they're like, we're never going to tell you. Like, just good luck. Like, that's, it's not about what happened. It's about what happens after that. And I think it's, again, it's everyone on that show trying to understand not what happened, not why it happened, but, like, what the hell do we do now? And I think that that's what really kind of connects with me. It's like, whether it's a God or whether it is religion or spirituality or whatever i think what i love about all these shows is that they really show earnestly the search for something right like whether it's aliens or whether it's religion or whether it's meaning or whether it's purpose i think in all of those any character that is like searching for something more and not just trying to survive or whatever i think that's what is really
0: inherently fascinating to me about these shows and these characters well said um, and, and thanks for, uh, sharing those thoughts. Um, so I want to end this, um, just with a couple little, um, bits of trivia. Uh, so one of the cool things that, uh, has happened in the last 20 or so years, um, is what is called the Scully effect. Um, and, uh, Joey, do you know what the Scully effect is? I feel like I've heard it and I probably could define it at one point, but I don't know right now. So why don't you please tell me and the (laughs) listeners. So the Scully Scully effect is uh, a phenomenon whereby um, there was, I think some sort of anecdotal evidence that um, the character of Dana Scully and the young women who watched the X-Files as teenagers um, or maybe even sort of Joey's age. So like tweens, maybe like, you know, nine or 10 years old through let's say, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, whatever, um, in that range uh, in the mid-1990s um, uh, went on to become scientists themselves. Um, and again, it had been sort of anecdotal for a while, uh, but there was actually studies done um, and, and surveys done, and uh, the evidence is pointing that, that in, in that actual direction um, that... There has been a rise in the uh, number of young American women uh, who have studied science and entered the sciences um, since the X Files aired, and a lot of them, when asked, uh, say that their inspiration for doing so um, was Dana Scully. Um, so that's really cool, and you know, it's 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 also like I one of the things that I also. Sort of speaks to this whole aliens and religion and science and 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 the the conflict therein mm-hmm. um, is the movie Contact, which came out also in 1997, which also features like a cool female scientist who discovers aliens, right? Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think there was there was quite a bit. I, I, I don't want to just say you know credit Scully entirely. I, I, I think there was um, the kind of opening of of women in the sciences in both that uh and the x files um you know in in, in a pretty visible way uh probably also played a role and then also just like the fact that a lot of hard work was done to break down uh gender barriers but again like our pop culture reflects um where we are uh in addition to sort of inspiring where we go um so you know i don't think I, I i would never um undersell it i think it is an important thing to do representation is great um and and good on the x files for um you know finally doing that And if i if i if i remember right and i'm not sure if this is this is true but like i gotta i gotta find out whether or not it is uh one way or the other you might know this was scully originally written as a male character because i'm like <laughs> I kind of think I remember hearing that and, and them sort of changing their mind at the last minute. Oh, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure.
1: I don't know if I've heard that. I don't know if I forgot that, but that's not something in my brain.
0: Yeah, I, and it, it would be, like, it would totally be something that, like, early 1990s Fox would demand. <laughs> They're like, no, you must have two male leads, uh, and they must be at each other's throat and uh, and whatever. So um, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, uh, but... Uh, Either way, uh, thank you to Chris Carter and to the great people at the Fox Network uh, and their sister networks and all the good work that they do for the advancement of knowledge and uh, information. and stuff well the irony there and I don't know if it's
1: irony is the right word again but like if the, if it is two dudes if it's Mulder and just like basically Scully but a dude that show lasts two or three yeah. years
0: right like it's like oh yeah we'll give it another shot just see how it goes yeah, yeah. it would have been like every other show on Fox in the yep. mid 90s that lasted like one or two seasons
1: I also do want to credit you know like the fact that Jillian Anderson absolutely kills this role and she was like 25 or 24? Oh, show I know. Out. She's a baby. Yeah, she's yeah, a literal yeah. baby on this show. And I was like... <laughs> and yes, she's super... she was an actual infant in the first episode. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, she they, grows they, up right yeah. in front of yeah. her eyes. But like, it's That's it's amazing, amazing it's to me how good she is from the jump. Like, you know, she's... She, I think she had been in a few things before that, but like, it's between the fact that like they just wrote her the way that like it was such a strong character to be written, but like the way that she plays it, it's just it's it's
0: flawed. Like she is so good in that role, and man, oh man, she's still good in roles. She's still and and like it's one of those people that has somehow managed to look better as she's gotten older, which is like all, good on her. Um, her and like Julia Louis Dreyfus and like and and I don't know what they're doing, but yep. uh, you know they they should not sell it to anybody because um. It's it's working for him. Uh, I think it's the same thing that whatever Tom Cruise eats, <laughs> maybe it's some kind of Scientology thing. Well, of course, Jillian Anderson has the advantage of alien DNA that was injected into her when she was abducted, so that's probably what's happening. Uh, <laughs> you know, in, in, in this time of um, whatever the hell reality we're living in now, uh, with Donald Trump being president, and this virus that makes us not be able to talk to people in person uh i really just want the days of like worrying about ufo's back <laughs> And yeah, if nothing else, that's a good reason to talk about the X-Files
1: right now. Well, here's a good thing. Here's a good thing. You can still worry about UFOs. I mean, you have other things to worry about, but,
0: like, nothing's stopping you from that's worrying true. about UFOs. It's true. it's true. Wouldn't it be great, though, if, like, our one of our major pressing social concerns was, like, what's happening at Area 51? <laughs> like, uh, you know what? Nothing. Because uh, if if something were, like, Trump would have <laughs> blurted it out by now. So, uh, Yeah. Okay. Nineties were great. I miss them. Um <laughs> this is not this is not great, but we're gonna keep talking and podcasting and look, thinking about the good things uh as we work our way through this global pandemic. Anyway, um Joey, thanks for joining me, uh and for and for embarking on this maiden voyage um of this podcast. Uh our theme song is by Bugs in the Corner. You can find them on the Facebooks and the Spotify's and the band camps uh, that's bugs as in the things that crawl on the ground and in the as in when you're in something and it's the and corner like a room Uh, thank you Joey Lewandowski Uh, thank you for downloading tuning what do you say Joey what's the the
1: listening listening yeah listening yeah thanks for listening
0: the end alright thanks Joey Bye.